You're listening to episode 63 of The Marketer's Mindset with Brian Burkhardt, a.k.a. B-Square. Welcome back to The Marketer's Mindset, the podcast where we talk about how to create and sustain a powerful mindset to help you build a successful online business and lead a happy and abundant life. My guest today is an award-winning international speaker. Despite being a good and smart kid, growing up in a well-to-do family and a golf scholarship to pursue his dream, life was hardly a series of continued successes. And around the age of 17, his life became complicated. And in college, he turned to drugs and alcohol and eventually was arrested and spent his 20th birthday in jail. At one point, doctors had labeled and diagnosed him as bipolar, schizophrenic, manic, and depressed. They said he would never be able to live a normal life without taking prescription antipsychotics. He knew he had to make some changes to his current lifestyle of drugs and alcohol, or it would end up killing him. However, It would take running down a beach half naked, being pursued by police helicopter to finally help him to wake up and decide to take control of his life. Fast forward to today, he has spoken around the world working with individuals with drug addictions to royal families, from newly minted entrepreneurs to hardened Fortune 50 executives, and is in high demand with corporations and associations, especially with Entrepreneurs Organization and the Young Presidents Organization. His specialty is in helping people connect to what is essential in their lives. He is the author of two books, Eluding Reality, a memoir about drugs, psych wards, and recovery, and his most recent book, The Connection Effect, an entrepreneur's playbook to unlocking the present moment. He's been featured on CBS NBC, Forbes, and Huffington Post, and is a professional member of the National Speakers Association. Please welcome the man who has used the connection effect to go from troubled addict to thriving entrepreneur and someone I'm proud to call a friend, Gordy Bufton. Hello, Brian. Thank you so much for having me and such a detailed introduction i'm wondering if i'm gonna have any stories to share after <laughs> you've got plenty so, so much was, so much was covered in that introduction well i'd like to do that because i don't want to spend the first half hour of the show rehashing your story so this way it gives people a background of where you've been where you come from where you're at now and now we can dive into some of the details of how you got there so I love it. Thank you so much. Oh, for, absolutely. It was much shorter winded than I would have said. So. <laughs> That's the thing. I tried to make it a little more concise. But anyways, I want to start out our conversation here today, which I'm really excited about. We're going to delve into your book, The Connection Effect, which I have read completely now and love it. And I think it's such, such an important message, especially in today's day and age. But first, I want to kind of touch on the addiction part here. Um, A lot of people suffer with it, and I think it's becoming more aware. And I think with you being vulnerable and and sharing your story through other podcasts and videos and your book and so forth, it's so important to 
one, let people know that they're not alone, that there are other people that have gone through this and that there is hope. And I think your story is really inspiring and is a great message of hope. So I want to start with what was happening to you around the age of 17, um, whether it's life events or mentally that kind of started you on that downward spiral? Yeah, really good question, Brian. And thank you for, for touching on this piece of addiction, which is, you know, we're all struggling with something and whether it's substance abuse addiction, whether it's social media, pornography, work, I, th- I think we're all struggling somewhere on the addiction spectrum. So what what happened to me at 17 was I broke up with my first girlfriend and didn't have the life skills to deal with that experience. And when I smoked pot, one of like the first few times I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what I'm looking for. This allows me to forget about the heartache, the pain, and um, ultimately really disconnect from my reality. Yeah. It, it kind of was something to soothe what you were doing and kind of an escape, I'd take it, right? Yeah. And, and then from there, I just kept going down that rabbit hole uh, for the next basically three years. And, you know, like you touched on in the bio, spent my 20th birthday in jail, escaped to psych ward, you know, almost got beaten to death in Macon, Georgia. And, and these experiences as, as traumatic as they were to me, I still had to make that decision. Do I want to get clean and sober or can I figure this out? And from a outside perspective, it would be really easy. Like, Oh, you need to get clean and sober. That's so easy. But my internal dialogue and mindset at the time was, I will figure this out. I will, I will get through this. It won't be that bad. And it would have been that bad. And that's the, the piece within the mind, which is so fascinating is we can create these stories of why it's going to work out or why it's not. But then a lot of my work with the connection effect, and we've had conversations about this is I, we have to get in alignment with, we could use like the word our soul or our authentic self, whatever, whatever we label that. And, and at 17, I I definitely wasn't ready to do that. And now in my thirties, I, put a large in um, large precedent on, on connecting to myself. Yeah. Which is huge. We all need to do that. So that's, that's amazing that you were able to do that. So what, what was it Gordy that allowed you to kind of flip that switch? Um, obviously I'm, I mean, hitting rock bottom and, and realizing that, Hey, if I keep continuing on this path, I'm going to end up dead. <laughs> you know, um, was there a, a mentor uh, uh, maybe mom and dad or sibling? Was there a book? Was there something significant that kind of helped you flip that switch and say, okay, I'm going to take this seriously and I'm going to make a decision to get clean? So I would say it was basically the three weeks of very traumatic um, experience that I had of, you know, Basically, spending my 20th birthday, almost getting beaten to death and killed, spending a few nights homeless, with it all happened within a three-week time frame, and my addiction was at its its highest peak at that at that moment. 
And I really, you know, just kind of like sat down with myself and, and thought through of I could either continue down this path, which I knew at the time would land me back in jail or dead. That, that wasn't really a question or I can do something different. And I didn't know what doing something different was then. I just started with taking small, small steps. And I ended up moving in with one of, I wouldn't even call him a high school friend because I met him. I was like 18, I guess, when I met him. And I moved in with him and I literally spent the first month just sleeping in every single day, was away from all my friends, my environment, my parents, and just like would start eating. I don't even, I'm trying to recall if I was exercising. I think I was, I remember going on kind of one run, but I wasn't really exercising a lot. And I was just sleeping and letting my body catch up with all the trauma that I had put myself over the previous three years. Do you think that was kind of more instinctual that you kind of just let go of what you had been doing and kind of just like kind of like a reset, you know, starting from ground zero? Yeah, as I'm as I'm listening to that, I'm like, oh, is that what I'm doing right now as well? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah it's uh, when when we've created such a horrific say life for ourselves, we do sometimes and you just hit that reset button. And I firmly believe we are a product of our environment. Yes. And the environment and the the second piece to that is I, I really love we're the average of our five closest friends. And I had to literally pick myself up from that environment, go to someplace completely different. I didn't have a car. I didn't have access to my friends. I really didn't want access to them and started to to rebuild. And an aspect of this rebuild was, I wish I could say it was all like gun gumdrops and, and rainbows and all this stuff. But then I started to experience mental health and over, I ended up moving back in with my parents. And then I started going in and out of the psych wards from the damage I'd done with the drugs. And that is kind of like a, a different element of, and I, I shared something publicly yesterday about this of when I was in my active addiction, it didn't take weekends off. It didn't take nights off. It didn't take holidays off. It was 24 seven. I was either using drugs, thinking about using drugs, trying to get drugs and recovery now is the same way. I spend two to three hours every single day working on my recovery. Now that look, could look like meditation, exercise, eating clean, talking to mentors. But every single day, I'm working on my recovery, which can easily be labeled as personal development or growth or any of these terms, which allow me to keep sh showing up in the world as the best version of myself. Yeah, I think that's so huge, Gordy. I mean, yeah, we're talking about drug addiction, but you know, which has some, I mean, that could be life or death. And, and I like how you mentioned also at the beginning here that there's other addictions as well. Pornography, work, um, you know, a lot of, especially entrepreneurs are, are workaholics. And, uh, you know, as our, our mutual friend, Joe Polish is that 
workaholism is the respected addiction. You know, people look up to you. It's all about the hustle. There's a lot of that going around the internet now. Uh, instead of more life balance, it's hustle, hustle, grind, grind every day. And that can be an addiction. So I like how you, you put it that your recovery, because if you tend to label things, sometimes it, it can uh, alienate some people, you know what I'm saying? So you're talking about recovery, but you also said you could think of it as self-development. Aha. Okay. Gordy's talking about addiction and his recovery is meditation, exercise, eating healthy. Well, wait a second. That's also what I'm doing in my personal development. Can I apply that to my workaholism or whatever addiction that I may have now as well? So I think it all relates no matter how we label it or call it whatever it is. Those type of principles relate and can help to it. Would you agree? Yeah, 100%. And and back to our mutual friend, Joe Polish, and one of the guys that he's interviewed, which I really love, is Gabor Mate, who says, yeah, the the question we're asking is why the addiction, right? Like why the workaholism, why the substance abuse? But the question we should be asking is why the pain? Mm. And what is that pain? As we get into the addiction, we are typically just trying to numb out or not have to experience discomfort. And and this is where I really respect drug addicts or alcoholics because they, they have this pain. They don't know how to deal with it. Therefore, they're at least taking action and doing something. Yet the way they're taking action is very detrimental to themselves or somebody else in comparison to the person who is complaining about their life, hates their job, gets home and literally binge watches Netflix for six hours and then gets up and do it all over again. Like they aren't necessarily taking a different action. And and that's a, you know, and, and this goes, I think which is going to be a Joe Polish complete episode, <laughs> but another one of his sayings is you want a breakthrough, you got to break something. Yeah. And we have to break these you know, back to you and the mindset, like these mindset patterns and these stories to really shake things up. And I did a, for me to shake things up, like it had to be extremely extreme. Like not many people can say they got beaten with a brick in the back of the head in Macon, Georgia. Like that's not something I'm proud of, but I was so into and overtaken by my addiction, it needed to be that extreme. And, you know, I admire, so a a term that you use, and let me define it a little bit more, is rock bottom. I believe rock bottom is a moment that we decide to change. Oh, okay. Right? Like, it could be one of your listeners listening to this interview and go, yeah, maybe I am having two or three beers every single day. That's too much. I'm going to decide to change. Yeah, they still have like a very successful job, a happy family, a lot of that. But they're just like, nah, I'm going to change. I'm going to go 30 days, 60 days, 90 days with no alcohol and see what what transpires. And and that's an interesting thing in, in my story and my journey is when I stopped using alcohol, I wanted to go one year not using drugs and alcohol. The year that I was 22 years old, that is now over nine years ago, and I never envision using drugs or alcohol again but it spawned from going one year yes 
And that's huge. That, that That's one of my beliefs too, is, is when so many people are trying to create a habit that they want to do something. Um, you know, the, the famous one is New Year's resolutions. Everybody's doing it. I, I gave those up. I'm setting goals throughout the year on things I want to do. I'm not waiting till the end of the this year to set for next year or anything. I think it's something that you need to continually do. But in the same sense, instead of saying, all right, I haven't worked out and I'm going to start doing um, uh, CrossFit. I'm going to start that January 1st. Come on now. Six days a week. <laughs> Six days a week, two to three hours a day. You're just going to give up. Even if you, if you even do the first day, you're going to be so sore and so destroyed that you're going to give up. I believe in, hey, let's do, let's get to the gym for one day at least, maybe for the first four weeks and start developing that small habit that you can build on. And that's exactly what you do with your addiction. You said, let's go one year. You're not saying for the rest of my life, which can be so overwhelming, I'm sure, in your situation, but a year, that's still a challenge, but yet it's not your, you, you got a long way to go after that. You know, for some people, it could be one week yes, or one month or one or day. Some people are day to day. Isn't that what um, Alcoholics Anonymous talks about? You know, one day at a time, man. Yeah. Start your day on your knees and end your day on your knees. You know, be grateful. So I think that's huge. Have you always, I mean, I see you as this positive, inspiring guy. Have you always had that type of mindset, Gordy, growing up and everything or? I was very fortunate at a young age, probably around 12, my mom started going to personal development conferences. And I probably remember going to one of the first that say like 15 or 16. So I was surrounded by this, which goes back to what we discussed of your environment of, you know, having books from Deepak Chopra and some of these spiritual teachers around. And I got my first spiritual mentor at 18, which was, which was an interesting experience as I had just been pulled out of college for my addiction to ecstasy and and squandered a lot of things of having a spiritual mentor while still being a drug addict was, was an interesting, interesting piece. But so to, fully dive into your, was I always this positive and inspirational? The simple answer is no. And I think the more complex answer is I still have bad days. I still have difficult experiences. I, I still struggle to get out of bed certain days. And, um, yeah, we, <laughs> I, you're human, man. <laughs> yeah. And I think this is part of the human experience, like yes. to really be able to go into that dark space or that feeling or that experience, which, and, and this goes back to like some of the positive thinking, like if you have a negative thought, don't think that thought is, which I believe is, is jargon, but you know, how do we, how do we go into those experiences? And this goes back to the addiction piece I believe most of us as humans don't really understand feeling or how we're feeling, which goes back to one of your other podcasts about focus, right? Like we're so inundated by information and easily, we're, we're so easy, 
it's so easy to grab your phone and disconnect from the emotion. Like multiple times a day, I experience something and I'm like, man, I really don't want to sit with this. Let me jump on my email or Instagram or this or that to not have to feel what is happening in that moment for me. You know, I just had an aha with you saying that there, Gordy, because in the sense that you were using drugs and alcohol to avoid the pain and feelings in your life, how many of us do that with our phones and social media, but don't look at that as another disempowering habit that you're doing that's avoiding any feelings or distracting yourself? Yes, yes, and more yet. And that being said, I do track my cell phone usage. Yeah. And I average between about two and a half and three hours a day. And it's it's a little bit of a skewed number because I, I do a morning journal entry and an evening journal entry on my phone that I email to an address that I only have access to. Oh, and okay. so every day there's there's like a morning journaling and an evening, which usually takes me about 30 minutes. So like my cell phone usage, and it's on airplane mode when I, when I do it, is typically around say two to two and a half hours a day. But there are days where I notice and watch it where I go up to four or five hours on my cell phone. And I can almost like, you can, you could tell me how much I've been on my phone for that day. And I will tell you where my mood or my happiness is. Yeah, that's powerful. But that goes back to self-awareness. And if you're not tracking those things and saying, hey, I've been on four hours. How am I feeling today? You're you're just being blown around life. You, you have no control over your emotions or anything. So I think that that's huge. That's a great tip that I think a lot of people should start doing is what do you use a certain app or is it built into your Apple iPhone or? Yeah, so it's built into my iPhone okay. and there, I think another element that, well, another element is you can set limits. So for Facebook, my limit is 11 minutes a day and Instagram is 11 minutes a day. Wow. That's awesome. And that doesn't mean there aren't days where I'm like, yeah, I'm going to ignore this limit. Right. You know, another like five or 10 minutes blows by or whatever that looks like. But I, I can, I, I know I have enough awareness to know when I'm getting out of balance and, you know, whether it's too much texting or too much on YouTube or, you know, having these other parameters, which are so, they're so easy to ignore. Yet, if, if, if I look at from a, from a macro over, you know, I'm 30, I'm going to live to about 130 with technology and the way health is going. So I have another hundred years. If I free up 30 minutes of my, we'll, we'll just go to easy numbers. Like if I free up an hour a day that I'm not mindlessly scrolling on my phone, that's 365 hours a year. Right. Times a hundred. <laughs> yeah. Like that's a huge chunk of time. That being said, like, I, I just want to be so conscious of how I'm spending my time. Yeah. And that being said, like I, I also track down 
for, for many years, I tracked down to the minute of what I was doing every day in journals. And I just went through all my stuff at my old condo. And I threw probably like five notebooks away that had tracked the minute, right? Like woke up at seven o'clock, wrote for from seven to seven fifteen, And I just started doing it again yesterday to track my productivity and where I'm losing time and where I'm gaining time and being observant of that because I know moving a little bit of a metric on a daily basis is going to profoundly compound over the next five years or decade or 50 years. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, there's a great video that probably a couple of them that I've seen, uh, from Arnold Schwarzenegger who actually talks about time and how people say they have no time. And he talks about how he came here. He was into bodybuilding. He was taking acting classes he was building a real estate company and doing all these things simultaneously. And he says, people, like you were saying, someone comes home and they go, oh, I want to start a business or I want to do something. And they come home and they binge Netflix. Well, if you're using that time, you can't complain that your situation hasn't changed. And he just really delves into how if you manage your time, there's, there is enough time to, as you would say, and as I agree, connect with others to build a business to do charitable work. There's, there, there is time if you manage it properly. So, well, and, and I think a distinction there, which you're, which you're saying is we all have 24 hours in a day. How we spend that time is drastically different, but you know, say you want to sleep for eight hours. <laughs> I sometimes try to get nine or 10, but you know, and, and I was having this conversation with one of my mentors recently of, I want to sleep less. And he goes, no, you are thinking about this wrong. Why do you want to sleep less? So I have an extra hour a day over compounded seven hours a week, you know, an extra, what, 28 hours a month. And he goes, you're thinking about that wrong. Like you want to sleep as much as you can as it's your body's way of reprogramming and healing and transforming. Figure out how you can compress what you do in say 14 hours down to 13 hours. If you do that, then you you don't need to save that extra hour from the sleep. Right. And that's kind of like what Arnold was talking about. He goes, so you sleep six hours and they say, wait, Arnold, but I sleep eight hours. Then I would recommend you sleep faster. <laughs> that's what he says in the video. I think it's hilarious. Yeah. Oh, man. I wish I could sleep faster. But. <laughs> All right. I want to wrap up here on the, on, on the addiction part. Um I appreciate you going into your story, um, sharing it, being vulnerable, because I think it's it's huge. Like I said, there's obviously there's people out there that will be listening to this that are suffering in one form or another on some type of addiction, maybe even what kind of what you experienced. What advice, Gordy, would you have for someone that's listening that may currently be suffering with an addiction or a mental issue? What lessons could you impart or what couple things of advice that you can give to those people to help turn their situation around and, and kind of come out on an end where you're at right now. How much time do we have? Uh, no. <laughs> like so, I said, just a few things that like something important yeah. that, that you could recommend. Cause I'm sure well, we could have a whole podcast just on this topic. Uh, we could all have a whole book on, we could go for hours. The, the main thing is asking for help. Mm. And continue asking for help until you get the help that you deserve. And 
that actually works. And one of the, it, I don't want to, maybe I'll say issues. One of the shortfalls I see within the recovery community is a one size fits all. Yeah. Like you have to do this protocol and this protocol will transform your life. Well, the most famous protocol only has a 10% success rate. Wow. That's amazing. I didn't know that. So therefore 90% who go through this protocol don't succeed. That is totally mind blowing to me, but that's a very different, different conversation. So it could mean, you know, for certain people, it could like one of, one of my friends went to talk therapy five days a week for four years. And that was successful for them. It was extremely successful for him, but most people would have given up at like, Oh, I got to go to five, five sessions a week. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Right. Like hour long sessions that doesn't include drive time. That doesn't include some other variables, but he had had a very traumatic life and that helped him move through a lot of the trauma and he's continued it. You know, it's basically a decade of work, but the piece that I shared last night and, you know, I kind of shared already is my addiction didn't take nights off. It didn't take weekends off. It doesn't take holidays off. Therefore, why is the recovery going to be any different? And to continue putting in that work, but also working with somebody to help the individual tailor a plan that's going to work for them. Yes, I agree. And I love how you said that there's not a one size fits all. I think that kind of prevents from some people, they go, well, hey, everybody's doing this. I tried it. It didn't work. Well, there are other options and you don't have to. Or the people who say, I tried everything. It's like, really? You've tried everything. Have you gone to Antarctica and spent a month in solitude? Exactly. Yeah. There's no, so many different that. ways you can you can do it. So, no, I appreciate that. That that's great. I want to delve into your book now, The Connection Effect. Um, have you heard of James Dottie? He's a neurosurgeon. Uh, I have not. I, I came across. He wrote a book called Into the Magic Shop, talking about when he was 12 years old. He went into a magic shop, and he met a woman around middle, early 50s, middle age, 50s, middle something around there, who imparted some knowledge on him about. Um, compassion and heart centeredness and mindset and setting intentions and things like that. And he wrote a book on it. It changed him his life around. He grew up in a troubled household and became a neurosurgeon. And now he works with the Dalai Lama and uh, I forget how to pronounce it. What's the other guy? Nick, Th- Nick Than or the. Oh, that which. Yeah. That man. Yeah. That which that man. So he's, that, that he's doing all that. He had a great Google talk. I'll send you a link on it and stuff, but one thing he said, and it was so funny because I watched this video yesterday, you know, I'm preparing for our interview and he talked about, he, he said, we are all suffering, but sometimes we get so involved in our own suffering and this prevents us from connecting with other people and the prevention of connecting with other people is important because it allows us to function at our best, both mentally and physiologically, physiologically. And I thought, wow, this is exactly what Gordy's talking about. Oh, man. I'm like 
just taking that in. That's, that's a lot of, a lot of information. And I a hundred percent agree with that. And I guess to, to, to pull in the addiction piece of, I believe the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety. It is connection. And this is where a lot of my work now focuses on connection and helping people connect to themselves and the world around them, or, you know, also say a, a higher power or something greater than themselves. And, you know, what the, the piece that you you mentioned him saying about suffering goes back to the addiction piece. We are all suffering with something mm-hmm. and having compassion for our fellow humans on this journey who are suffering with something. And most of the time we have no idea what somebody is suffering with. You know, the, the, the person checking you out at the grocery store might have not eaten the last three meals because, you know, their partner didn't pay child support. So they're giving that food to their children and then they're showing up and wanting to have a smile on their face when you're checking you out and you're on your phone and ignoring them when if you were to just compliment them or say, man, I really like your hair or that necklace or your style or the way that you're showing up can drastically shift the course of their life. Yes. Or the course of their day or the course of their week. Yeah, no, that that's so true. And that's that's one thing that I'm trying to be more mindful of. Uh, every situation I'm, I'm saying that everybody is on this journey here on this planet and we're all going through our own issues. And it's so easy to judge when someone cuts you off or is rude to you. And I'm trying to step back and see what's behind that attitude or that action. Instead of just saying they're a jerk, you don't know what's going on. And it's really helped me to step back to reduce any judgment and to open my heart and be more compassionate. That's so awesome. So, I love that, Brian. It's, it's uh, I believe, so valuable and important as we, and the, the other element of, say, say, parents or people working with kids is like, there is no playbook. There is no playbook for life and how to respond to certain situations. And like, we don't have the magic answers for everything. There are areas of life that I am an expert at or some could almost say a master. And then there's other areas where like, man, you want, you want to talk about neuroscience. I have no idea. (laughs) I know a little bit about neurotransmitters and how my neurotransmitters were completely skewed from all my drug usage. But, um, I, and this is the fascinating piece with podcasts and the information that is available now is we can obtain so much information and knowledge so quickly, but there's a big difference between knowledge and wisdom. Ah, yes. I love that you said that. Expand. And on how that. do we, how do we, how do we take that knowledge, which, you know, every kid with an iPhone can, can tell you the answer of how many countries there are in the world. Right. But not many kids who could tell you the answer of how many countries in the world have experienced some, if not any of these cultures. And I used to, 
my 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 former business partner used to have a running joke with me when when we were traveling around the world, speaking in these different countries. How long will Gordy talk to our driver before he realizes he does not speak English? <laughs> you know, but I'm going to engage. I'm going to ask questions. I'm fascinated about the culture, and there's a different experience and wisdom versus knowing how many countries there are. Yes. Like the, the way people experience life in different countries in different places. And, and this is where as, as blessed as I have been to go to some of these countries, I get a very tainted view at times of these countries because I'm spending time with typically some of the most wealthy people in the country. And in, in rooms where there's literally 20 people who control the entire country and there's a different experience versus the person who's struggling to make ends meet in that country and the way that they see and view the world. Um, and, and just like, I guess to wrap up that thought with a bow, it's like, how do we keep an open mindset to understand the thinking and the mindset behind the behaviors that people are having. Yes. Well said. And it's something I think everybody, if they were more aware of that on their day-to-day basis, I mean, daily, you can't think about this in the morning and then go about your day. You need to think about it throughout the day. I think people would be more compassionate, more accepting, more loving, and and you know that it's contagious. It, it spreads out when that starts to yeah. happen. And, and so a quick story on that. I've been working with a new coaching client and he went to an event in a, a spot in, we'll just say in California that had drastically different views of say politics and the world than he had. And one of his big takeaways at the end of it was they want the exact same thing that I want. They have a drastically different way of trying to get the same thing, but how do we let go of our biases and judgment and realize that we want the same thing? Yeah. Yet we might have drastically different ways of going about it, but we typically all kind of want the same thing. No, I absolutely agree. I have an extreme on that for you, Gordy. And I've said this to a few friends talking about it and family members. And I said, it wouldn't happen. But hypothetically, let's say you're in a bar, like a local bar over in the Middle East and sitting next to you is a member of ISIS and nothing about religion comes up and you just start having a conversation. And that person sits there and they're kind of down and you say, hey, what's wrong? Ah, you know, my, my dad just lost his job. My younger sister has cancer. Um, If you talked on a human level, though there's religious things, get all the other stuff out of the way of, of their beliefs about things like that and how they can justify that, but get on the human level, they would be experiencing some of the same things that we are here in the States personally. And when you got to that level because you shared those personal intimate things, you would have a connection with that individual instead of coming at it as, oh, they're in that country. They're, you know what I mean? It's just, I know it's a drastic thing, but it's another type of mindset that I try to, to do to kind of do more of that connection 
to a human being. Yeah, that's so powerful, Brian. And I have spent a decent amount of time in the Middle East. And I'm grateful I went in there with an open mindset because they are some of the nicest, best host, most generous, like the kindest people I have ever spent time with. Like they literally will not get off the elevator before they hold the elevator and like make sure that you get off first. Wow. And versus kind of in some places in the United States, it's like a mad dash and I might just run you over in the way um, of getting off the elevator. But, and and this is really a lot of my work around connection of, I believe that when we do experience that, whether it's just you and I on this podcast connecting in that heart space or somebody who has drastically different views, when we're able to get out of our story and fully embody our true essence or true soul or true authenticity, we're able to connect in meaningful ways that let go of the biases and stories that we've in some, like some of them we've created, some of them we've been conditioned, some of them it's the news. Like there's all these outside factors, but at the end of the day, we are all humans having a very human experience and haven't necessarily figured out how to love ourselves. Therefore, if we can't love ourselves, how are we going to love another human being? If we can't connect to ourselves, how am I supposed to connect with another human being? Yeah, that's so true. So how, how does one, what have you learned or what have you applied to start tearing down those old stories that hinder us and hold us back in life and our business to creating a more powerful and empowering story. Really good question. I believe one of the first things is, is having mentors or coaches or people outside of ourselves. Like you could get it from the Arnold Schwarzenegger video of to really shift our perceptions and to, in a very compassionate way, shine light on the stories in the way that we're showing up. And from that place, we're able to, back to some of the stuff we were talking about with cell phones, like sit with it a little bit longer. Like if, if you, if you're listening to this podcast, like what's one thing that you're struggling with? Think about it right now. And write, write it down. And, you know, then tonight or sometime today, like spend 10 or 15 minutes ago, minutes thinking about this situation, but think about it from a 365 degree angle, you know, or 365, that's how many days in the year, not angles, 360. But most of the time we're thinking about it from one, one angle. And there's that the other 359 degrees that we're not able to see. And I believe people that we trust or advisors or mentors can do a better job of helping us open up our viewpoint and perspective around that. Yeah. I love what you said there because so many people try it on their own and they're afraid to reach out for help and to feel like they don't know 
they should know it or to compare themselves. And if they would be vulnerable enough to just say, hey, I need help. There's somebody that is a master or an expert in this area or I'm lacking in. I need to tap into that, into that experience, into that knowledge and wisdom. So I think that's And all that being said, that Gordy Bufton's name is at the top of that list of <laughs> struggling to ask for help. Hey, I'm, I'm there too. I'm more the independent. I'll figure it out myself. Leave me alone. So it's, it's been a challenge for me too, to, to ask for help and to reach out. But there, there is so much power in, and, and it goes a drastically different way when we are able to ask for help. And I firmly believe that things start to fall into place and we see a different way when we are able to let go of our own ego and say, man, I should be able to figure this out. I can't figure this out. I'm okay with that. Let me let me call on Brian. Let me call on Mike. Let me call on, you know, Jordan and get a different perspective or answer. Yeah, I agree. Now, in the intro of your book, The Connection Effect, there were two things that I really liked that stood out. Um, you said, this book is about building a bridge between a life that's ambitious and a life that's connected. And the second thing that I got out of the intro was, living well does not mean giving up the things that matter. And I love what you said there. I think those things are so powerful. Define for me, Gordy, what does connection mean to you? Connection is always changing and evolving. But for me, connection is, I want to say the space between my thoughts. It's when the noise quiet and I'm able to connect with the true essence within me. It's not the outside expectations of the world puts on me. It's not the internal struggles that I have and the doubts that I have. It's those moments where it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, none of us are getting out of this experiment alive. So how do we connect with our true essence within? And from, from that connection within, I truly believe anything is possible. And, you know, the ambitious life versus a connected life, I, an, another way of examining that is doing versus being. Yeah. And so many people on the planet are in the doing mindset and mode. I got to get this house. I got to get this job. I got to get this car. I got to get the jet. I got to do, 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 do. And there's no being like, even in watching my thoughts and experiences before getting on this podcast of, man, what are the questions Brian's going to ask me? Um, am I going to have all the answers? Do I know all the questions that he's going to ask about my book? Do I have the stories? Do I have this da da da? which is in the doing of wanting to get the right answer, da, 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 versus the being, right? Like if I show up as my best self connected to my soul, it won't matter. I can stumble on words and I don't care. I can stumble on answers and I don't care because it's not important. What is important is that I am being in the experience, in the moment. That's so powerful. I love that you shared that because I do the same thing. I 
and I even sent this, I think, in the email when I, we were connecting about setting up this podcast. I talked about your intention. And every podcast, I set an intention. What do I want for it? Um, obviously, I want each podcast to be the best. Um, I set for ours that I want us to uh, have a heart-filled conversation because uh, we both are on that same page. We're, we're, we're into the heart-centered and compassion and you know, even though we, we believe mindset is very powerful and very important, I think heart-centeredness and compassion and, and the connection, like you're talking about, is so huge as well. Um, I wanted to have actionable things that came out of this, that we're going to have such a great conversation that it's going to go where it goes. Um, something you say is going to spike and spark another question for me to ask, and it may give you another thing to go off on a tangent, and I'm going to have an aha moment. And and lastly, I want it to be fun. Now, again, I want to make sure that I ask the proper questions that I'm engaging you and stuff, but I have to drop that and just say, hey, me and Gordy are going to connect as if we were sitting in a room together at a coffee shop or whatever, talking about these important topics and just sharing this information. So I, I totally get what you said. I got to drop all that and just get in the moment, get into the conversation and connect. And that's that's what I eventually end up doing. But beforehand, it's all that cerebral things that are going on. So I'm right there with you, Bill. Well, and, and even and like I'm a firm believer in intention, mm-hmm. right? Like, but how do we how do we have one intention? And you know, the intention is to connect, right? Like, if we connect and have a heartfelt connection, we just the ripple effect, whether we say anything or not, the ripple effect on the planet will be profound. And if we have a heartfelt connection and we record it, there might be moments or chunks where other people could benefit from it as well. Right? Like, and then there's the other element of even if nobody listens to this episode, nobody downloads it. Like you and I connecting, recording it, and just even those wavelengths going out is going to affect the evolution of humanity, even with zero people listening. I love it. I love it. So true. It is so true. And that's the element that we never, most of the time, we aren't able to see those 359 degrees because we're so stuck in, man, I need somebody to leave a review for this episode. Like I need somebody to reach out or dot, 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 like fill in the dot, which goes back to the doing mindset versus the being. Yes. Now, one thing. And that being said, I still struggle immensely (laughs) on that and have checklists. And like last Sunday I did 10 things and I was like so proud of my my Sunday of how much I accomplished and dot, dot, dot. And there were moments on Sunday where I was just being and had nothing to do in a space of time. And my mind was like, man, I need to fill this with my checklist. Like there's something, no, Gordy, you can just be. And there were things in the checklist where I was being, but I would like, you know, talk about takeaways for the audience member, like a one freaking super actionable thing like just create 15 minutes a day to just be you know you could be on facebook you could be on any of those things but to just kind of do nothing and that's a piece that we don't and with all the stimuli 
is we don't, we've lost that. I want to use the term boredom. Like I want to be more bored. (laughs) Isn't it funny? That's a goal now to be more bored. I I heard, uh, what's his name? Colin, uh, uh, the comedian guy. He used to be on MTV a long time ago. I can't think of his last name offhand. But he was talking about politics. He, the title of his his uh, special was Red in Blue States. And he was going through all different political things. And one of the things that just sparked about that, when, what you just said, is he said, there are a lot of people in this world that starve and go to bed hungry each and every day. And he goes, now you talk to someone over in, in California and it's like, hey, what are you doing? Oh, I fasted 20 hours today. And they're proud of it. They're, we're at such a level that we are so comfortable with having us being able to go to Circle K or down the street or a local Sprouts, grab what we need to eat without even thinking that there's other people in other countries that have do not even have that luxury, that we are so well fed now that we're like, ah, we're not going to eat today. And it was like, wow, that's so true. So that just reminded me when you said, I'm looking to be bored because we are so overstimulated that I welcome that boredness to be with my thoughts for even 15 minutes and just to be, be present. Or be with that uncomfortability that we're trying Uh, to ignore. Okay. You just opened up for another question now. I love what you just said there. Talk to me. You talk about this. In your second chapter of the book, The Nature of the Mind, you talk about emotions as the invisible hand that guides our behavior. And I want to talk about how do you sit with the negative emotions and how, how do you, what have you learned, what, what mentors have taught you, what have you read, whatever it may be, to sit with those emotions and not to pick up your phone and distract yourself or to call a friend or, or go do something. How does one do that? and sit with those emotions, manage those so they can be turned into a positive behaviors in our life. So the best thing that I do to deal with those negative emotions is right. I believe that's the best way for me to get it out of my crazy at times mind into the physical world, whether that's into an email or like, I just need to get it out. And I also do half a page journal every single night where I write three things that I'm grateful for and then half a page, but getting it out of my mind and into the physical world, it, it allows me the space and the separation to, and I don't want to say disconnect from it, but to release it. Versus keeping it up in the mind and the brain where we keep spinning through the different solutions. Yeah, I think it's important. I mean, the, the journal, like you said, you've uh, actually gone back through other journals and you're starting to pick up that practice again related to your time to really see where your time is being spent. And I, th- I think that's so important to write things down to track. You, you need to be self-aware. And if you're just going through life, not tracking your time or or documenting your thoughts, how are you going to make changes? You just, you don't know where to begin. You know, for some, some people that can be documenting it on social media, right? Like if a lot of my thoughts 
I share publicly. Not all of them, but a lot. And I'm trying to do a more, one of the, one of the big ideas I have about social media is front stage versus backstage. We're all comparing our own backstage to everyone else's front stage mm-hmm. and what they're, they're sharing on social media and da da da. And, you know, at least as adults, we understand most of it is completely garbage and not true, right? Like the guy posting in the jet or the Lamborghini or whatever that looks like, and it's rented or whatever that looks like. And if you have that, it's freaking awesome. Like, you know, the impact that you've made on the planet in order to have that is usually a very wonderful thing. And being able to share in a vulnerable way with ourselves is a very difficult skill that most people don't get to do. And I will be one of the first people to admit I am very good about sharing about my past and being vulnerable about my past, but I am not as good about being vulnerable of what's happening in the present moment of what's going on in my life. Now, what are the struggles? Because I like to intellectualize it and put nice, pretty words on it versus yeah, man, I woke up today and I wasn't feeling that good. I didn't sleep as well as I normally did. It might have to do with I ate dairy last night, which I normally don't do, or it might have to do with I'm stressed about this, um, you know, client proposal going out or, 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 hey, I'm having a bad day. It's okay. Like we are going to have bad days. The I think our job is if we are having too many bad days in a row that we do something to change that. That's where the doing part comes in. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when you've been being too much and then you need to do a little doing, but you got to have the balance. But, and I think a, a distinction between that is being can be a ton of doing. Yes. But it's a different mindset and it's a different way of showing as one of, my first mentor at 18 that I mentioned, he said, all I have to do is brush my teeth, comb my hair and show up Hmm. because I've already done the work. I've already done the transformation or I'm continued to do the transformation. And I have something, it's almost like a moral obligation to show up because if I am being who knows who could benefit from that being even just observing, right? Like your listeners might never take any different action from what, from our conversation of, they might not take the 15 minutes to spend time with their thoughts and those feelings and emotions, but even having an awareness about this conversation is going to shift the way they potentially do and be in the world. Yeah, I think that, and that's one of the huge things that I believe in is awareness. And if this conversation sparks that awareness and then someone else that they run into mentions the same thing or the same type of thing, and now they take action, it's it's like you said before, it's the ripple effect. We are starting that ripple. And, I, and almost to add on to that, if there's something that we've shared that like you go, oh my gosh, aha, I believe it's not, 
it's reawakening that truth that already resided within. Like, mm-hmm. man, I, I know this doing and being, I just forgot it. And now I got reminded of it, right? Like you talk to me in six months or three months, I will not be talking about being and doing. Yeah. But if you bring that up, I'm like, oh man, that's such a powerful conversation for this aspect of my life. I would like to get back into that mindset around it. I agree. I agree. Talk to me now, Gordy, about your silent Sundays and share the story about Mike and his family in regards to that. Oh man, you have done a brilliant job reading and dissecting my book. I might just take you on the road with me. Uh, it's been really, really good questions. So a couple of years ago, I spoke at a school and I'd, I'd done a couple of presentations with the school. And as you're, I'm assuming becoming aware when I like get into something, I fully get into it. And if that's drug, it's, it's very detrimental, right? So, so I, I had just started examining my life and, and writing a new book. And during that process, I go, man, I'm like so inundated with information. Like what would happen if I just turned off all that information one day and went with it? I sat with the feelings. I didn't have the distraction on my phone of technology and all that. So I, I started implementing Sundays, what I call as silent Sundays, where I don't have like I will have my phone on. It will be on airplane mode most of the time. Like this Sunday, I just like totally had it off and it was amazing. And don't use my computer or technology or TV or any of this stuff, which can make it a little bit more difficult if you're meeting somebody on a Sunday. And I have had this happen where like, I'm going to show up at Starbucks at three o'clock, whether you're there or not. So, and I probably won't know that you're delayed and whatever that looks like, but it's an opportunity for me to turn off the noise of the outside world. And that like this Sunday, when I talk about my long list of things that I did, it felt like two days because there wasn't all the noise there was space to be. And so I I started doing this and I was in a school speaking and I'm like, oh my gosh, Silent Sunday is amazing. Da da da. It's been super impactful for some of my coaching clients who have implemented with their families and a family, a teacher at the school after the speech, he pulls me aside and he goes, man, I really love this concept on Silent Sunday. Like one of the first things I do is I open up my email every single morning at six. Like I'm way too important. I'm basically the head of the school. If something were to happen, I have to be accessible. And I was like, okay, that's an interesting story you're telling about. But why don't like instead of going from you first thing you turn on your phone at six, like why don't you wait till 12 o'clock or noon? And he's like, eh, that's a great idea. Da, da, da. So I come back to do a follow-up speech a couple of weeks later and he, he pulls me aside and he goes, man, that silent Sunday was a lot harder than I thought it would be. And it wasn't from lack of trying. I totally failed. I only made it to 1 p.m. on Sunday. And I go, you didn't fail. That's a massive win from when we first had this discussion where you didn't even think you could do an hour. And now you've gone half a day. And so I did a following follow, or I didn't do a follow-up speech, but he sent me an email of, we tried it as a family to do no technology as a family. And my kids loved it so much. By the end of the day, they were saying, can we do it next week? And the, the most impactful thing is most kids want to get away from their devices. 
They want to turn off the TV. They want to engage with their parents, but they don't have the, uh, the level of awareness to be able to have that conversation. And the family has implemented it now for a couple years. And one of the things that I find is most impactful is the dad came home one day after work and he goes, where's Jane, my daughter? And the mom goes, she's in her room reading. Now, before they were doing Silent Sundays, this was never even in the scope of possibilities. And as a family, they disconnected TV. Uh, They still have kind of like Netflix for the occasional watch a TV show, but they have started doing those things that they've always procrastinated. Like I would love to go to the zoo, but we just don't have time because there's this game or this game or this thing going on on the TV. And now they go and do it with that time. Yeah. I got to admit, I have not tried that yet, Gordy. So I I will be implementing it. I'm going to see if I can get uh, Jen on board too, which I think she will. She's, she's really been good about, she does Instagram posts on certain things about health and things she's doing, but she kind of pretty much dropped Facebook, but I definitely want to implement that. And I will give you feedback on the results. And I want to encourage the listeners to seriously, seriously implement what Gordy just shared, because even I love what, what Gordy talks about in this story where, when you were saying that the guy came back to you and said, Gordy, I failed. I only made it to one o'clock. Um, it is not a failure. It's steps. It's a progress. It's something that you're working on. You're not going to be perfect most of the time straight out of the gate. But the fact that you implemented it, that you tried it, and that you're continuing to try it, I'm, I can just see from the stories you talk about. I've seen your uh, other videos you put on Facebook about it and stuff that there's a huge positive benefit to it. So I'm definitely going to be implementing it and I highly encourage everyone listening to try it. Even if you just do it once and get the experience of it and just see and be present. And, and like Gordy says, just be, just take that time of that Sunday and just be, and just see how different be with your emotions, be with your family, be connecting, um, be present, be with whatever your higher self, whatever that is for you, you're going to get huge returns out of it. So definitely do it. Definitely, definitely, definitely. I hope I stressed that enough. (laughs) (laughs) Question for you, Gordy. We all experience failures or what I call undesired outcomes. What are one or two of the biggest lessons that you've learned from your failures? Hmm. That's a really good question. So it's kind of interesting. I was connecting with one of my friends this morning, Alexis, and she said two things that are really powerful that I'll start this conversation with, which you kind of just touched on is she said, failure is success in progress. And also failure can be the start of the comeback journey. Like it. And I believe, I believe those are very powerful and And then I was working with another kid that I mentor recently and I go, no, these aren't, you didn't fail at this business. You um, found a different, you're just experimenting, right? Like you, you tried an experiment. It didn't work. That's not necessarily a failure because you at least tried. And I believe failure is when we stop trying. 
So one, what is a failure that the, the one that's coming up right now is I failed at college. I stopped trying and I became a drug addict within, within college. And that forced me to dropping out of college, which was going into college. I never imagined not graduating four years and going into say banking or some kind of financial job and da da da. Like that was the course of my life for playing golf. Right. And that failure of failing college drastically changed the course of my life and has me now speaking, you know, I've spoken in over a hundred schools and all around the world and, and impacted tens of thousands of lives, probably hundreds of thousands of lives by something that was a failure and turning that failure into part, this success in progress that I had no idea how different it would make my life. I'd say that's a pretty successful failure there, bud. Oh, and, and I guess the, almost a caveat to that is in the moment of the failure, we have no idea how it's going to turn out. And it's only looking back that we can connect the dots. We can, can never connect the dots going forward. And that can be a difficult difficult thing to swallow and uh, kind of a, and I, I haven't done it. I remember hearing it from somewhere, someplace. And then this is also part of why I journal so much is write down the failure that you have say today or this week on a calendar or send yourself a calendar reminder in, in two months of say, I failed this interview with Brian as, as an example, not that I have. And then I'm feeling bad about this. And then two months, I'll have this calendar reminder. You failed that podcast interview with Brian. And I'll, I'm most likely in two months to be like, oh, yeah, it's no big deal. I already forgot about that. But in the moment, it feels gigantic. Yep. And then you look back and you see, wow, I really didn't. And this led me to this or to that or whatever. And, and going back to kind of stories that we tell ourselves, um, one thing that I have a belief and, and a thing, this is what I want people to get to. And I try and stress this is that if you have a belief that supports you and it's not hurting anyone else and someone goes, well, I don't know how you can believe that, or I don't believe that, but it's setting you up for success. I think it's a fine belief to have or a story that you're telling yourself because it's empowering. So with what you were talking about, there are two things come to mind. One is I believe things happen for a reason. Other people may disagree. And the other thing is, I believe that life, and I didn't create this, people have said it many times, but life happens for us, not to us. And what you said is, when you're in the moment, when you're in the so-called failure, or like I said, undesired outcome, you can't see what one month, two months, one year, 18 months down the road is going to look like from the result of that you're in it now. And if you have that belief or mindset or that story about what I just mentioned, then you, you, you relax into it and say, Hey, didn't come out like how I imagined it, but you know what? I believe things are going to turn out or something benefit. There's going to be something positive coming out of it. You probably heard the, have you heard that story about the 
farmer. It's been told a lot of times in personal development where he uh, has a bunch of horses and a lightning storm comes and then the horses run out of the gate. And I have not. Okay. I'll tell you real quick. I think it's a cool story that just talks about this. <clears throat> There's this farmer in a small town and he has like 10 horses and a lightning storm comes, scares the horses. They break out of the stable and they run off. And the neighbor comes by the next day and says, wow, what horrible luck. That lightning storm came. All your horses are gone. The farmer looks at him and says, good luck, bad luck. Who knows? Well, a few days pass by and the horses come back. But this time, those horses brought another 25 horses with them. So now he had a bunch of horses. The neighbor comes by and says, wow, what great luck. Your horses left. They came back and they brought other horses. The farmer says, good luck, bad luck, who knows? So his one son goes out and he says, all right, I'm going to break one of these horses. So he gets on there and he's trying to break the horse and tame them because they're wild horses that they brought back. And he falls off and breaks his leg. And the neighbors come up and they go, wow, what terrible luck. Your son broke his leg. I can't believe this. Farmer says, good luck, bad luck, who knows? And then about two months later, the army comes to the town and they're collecting all the young men to go off to war and they go off to war and they lose and all the young men die. But since his son had a broken leg, he wasn't able to go to war and he survived. And the neighbor said, wow, what well, good luck. And the moral is good luck, bad luck. Who knows? There's so many things that we judge and say, wow, that's horrible. That's terrible that that thing happened. But you don't know what, path that is setting you on or what's going to happen down the road or what connection you're going to make or who you're going to meet or what you may have said has touched another person that changed them that maybe was suicidal and they were going to kill themselves that afternoon and something you said gave them a little bit of hope and they didn't do it that day. And then what Gordy said earlier about not being afraid to ask for help, they took that to heart and they reached out to somebody. And they said, I can't help you, but I know somebody that went through that and I can connect you with them. And they connect them with them and that the life is turned around. So you never know what's going to happen. And it's so easy to judge in the moment and label either good or bad. So I, th I think we, we got to get away from that and just trust in that if we're putting in the work, if we're doing and we're being and we're connecting, that we're doing the best we can it ultimately will end up where it should be and in a positive and in a good way. Yes, yes, yes. Such a powerful story and way of, of being and mindset to have in the world as, you know, one day none of this will all matter. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the funny part? One day it's just... It will just all be erased and... um you know, I, from one of, one of our mutual friends, he has this concept and I recently moved to Cincinnati and there's a, a couple of cemeteries very close by. And, you know, the, the day that we born and then the day that we die, and then there's usually a dash between it. And how are we spending that dash? Yeah. How are we living? How are we creating? And, you know, we think our lives are so important, but one day it's going to all be wiped out. And, you know, there'll be a handful of people who remember us or maybe, you know, thousands of people at ceremonies or, you know, 
Maybe there'll be millions, maybe nobody like, you know, and how do we, how do we live our best lives so that we know when we put our head down on the pillow, like we did our best job. And I firmly believe a lot of it has to do with mindset and a lot of it has to do with taking the time and the space to review how we are showing up. Yep. I couldn't agree more. I love it. A couple last questions here before we wrap up here, Gordy. What, um, right now, what are you currently doing that scares you and is making you stretch? That's an easy question. I proceeded to sell all most of my worldly possessions in Phoenix and put a few personal items into a storage unit and move halfway across the country to Cincinnati to rebuild and refocus my life, which scares me. And there are days where I go, man, this was the best decision I ever made. And within that same thought, I go, this could be the worst thing I've ever done before in the same thought. So, so that's, that's my answer there. Good luck, bad luck. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? But I, I think the, there's, there's moments in our life where we have to take drastic action. And, and like we were talking about earlier, like I had to hit reset yeah. and I've just hit reset. And I, I don't know how the pieces are going to fall because I've, I've basically taken some TNT to my life <laughs> and blown up many areas oh. which were not working. And as a byproduct, blew up areas that were working as well. And I now have, as one of my mentors goes, a blank canvas with 164 crayons to create the most amazing thing. And I'm having moments where I'm like, man, should I create that or should I create that or should I create none of it? And am I doing or am I being? And, you know, it's, and the main thing that is driving this is I keep going back and connecting with my authentic self, which is something I probably have never really done for most of my life. As I always showed up in situations where in a way that I believe the people wanted me to show up instead of the way that was totally authentic and congruent with me. Yeah. And I commend you for taking that, that journey. Um, I mean, you, like you said, you got rid of everything. You moved to a totally different state. Um, and having that self-awareness to analyze your life, which, um, you know, like we said, we never know what's going on in people's lives, but from the outside, whenever I saw you, you very, looked very happy and, uh, very successful in your career. You have a lot of great friends and connections and, you know, you never know what's going on, but you for, um, you know, looked inside and, and said that you needed to make a change. And that's, Especially, I think, I mean, you've seen the drastic. I mean, when you were dealing with your addictions and stuff, 
I mean, most people look at it and say, oh, that's easy. I mean, not that it was easy to change, but it's an easy point to look at and say, I need to change. But when things are pretty much 90% going really well, but there's a 10% that's a big part of your life that you think needs to change, that's a hard part for someone to say, boom, bring out the TNT. Let's blow this up. Let's kind of start from scratch and reset. So I I commend you, bud. I mean, that's a big move. Um, You're going on faith. I think you have a lot of great knowledge. You have a lot of great support. And I I think you're going to do fine. You're going to be well. And I know it's a struggle because I do that at times too. Should I do this? Should I do not? Um, I go to bed feeling great. Next morning you wake up eight hours later or so you feel totally different or you have self doubt creep in and you're like, Holy crap. I just went to sleep. What happened in that time that I went to bed, excited, motivated, inspired, and I woke up fearful, anxiety, questioning, you know, our minds do that. So I know it's going to be a process. It's going to be a journey. You're going to learn a lot, but I know you're going to come out on top and you're going to rock it. bud. I appreciate it, Brian. And yes, yes. And more. Yes. (laughs) Like I said, I've always said this, if there's anything I can do to help you support you reach out. And I mean that sincerely. So I love it. Appreciate it. Absolutely. What two or three books other than your own have had the biggest impact on you or you gift to other people the most? First book that jumps out is The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson, which is the small things that you do every single day compounded annually will transform your life. That I read that just before I was finishing my first book that I've been working on for four years and after reading the book was actually published in six months. So that and that and I've employed that mindset into basically everything I've I've done for the last I don't know, six years since. So that is number one. And number two, I'm kind of fighting between saying, and these are very common books, but How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And the other is Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. Have... I would say the more impactful is how to win friends and influence people because it really shifted me from living in a me, me, me world to how can I better understand people and compliment people to connect with them, which has led to my most recent work book and a lot of my work around connection now. Had I not learned the foundation from... Dale Carnegie and How to Win Friends. Yeah, that book is timeless. Anybody who has it. not read it, it was written, I don't know when, a while ago, but it, I think 1914. Yeah, but it, it holds up. It is definitely a, a, a read that you need to do. You asked me in an email when we were first connecting on setting this um, interview up what podcast I listened to. So I feel it's time for me to share on that. Um, there's probably about three that I do on a regular basis each week that I look forward to listening to. Um, one is Lewis Howe's School of Greatness. The other one is Impact Theory by Tom Bilyeu. And another one that's a little 
I don't know. I would say more obscure for entrepreneurs. It's more of uh, the gentleman interviews people more on spirituality and mindset, the uh, law of attraction, and more more things around that type of nature, um, which is called Inspired Nation. So those are the three that I kind of regularly, and then I throw in Joe Rogan's podcast. Usually I look and see who's on there. Um, I've listened to some of Russell Brands, and I like Rich Roll as well. So mm, Rich is a stud. Yeah. I think he's have you have you met Rich before? I have never met Rich, but I've seen a few of his interviews. The I would say, and this is from a very observing standpoint, Rich practices and embodies what he talks about, which in the personal development space is sometimes uh, I'll use the word far fetched. <laughs> Yeah. And and I I I struggle like obviously somewhat being in the industry, but I struggle with it because a lot of the people giving advice are where they are now and they've like examined their life and they like try to pull out the wisdom and like I've always been spend three hours a day working on yourself, right? Like mm, and they only yeah. created that now that they sold their their companies for for billions of dollars or whatever that looks like that they're able to do that. And um, like back to what a lot of our conversation, like life is hard at moments and we don't have all the answers and to be able to be vulnerable and radically honest about that is, is hard as we, I was listening to something today of we want to be liked because if we are liked from a very reptilian brain, we are not going to be killed. Yeah. But we have to get over that because we are no longer living in those areas. And if someone doesn't like you, that should not determine your self-worth. They can blast you on social media and leave so many comments and da-da-da. Which goes back to what we discussed, like what's going on in their life that they think that's okay and that allows them to feel better. So true. Okay. Gordy, how do people connect with you? What's the best way, social media, emails, things of that nature, and how can they go or best options or all options to get your awesome book, The Connection Effect? Yeah, so the easiest and I would say kind of like best mode of communication is email. Shoot me an email at gb at Gordy, G-O-R-D-I-E, Bufton, B-U-F-T-O-N.com. And, you know, across the social platforms of, say, Instagram or Facebook, like I have a fairly unique name, so it's a, it's a little bit easier. Uh, it's just Gordy Bufton. And to get the connection effect, the simplest, easiest way is um, Amazon, or you can go to barnesandnoble.com or some of the, some of the other book platforms and uh, order it there and in the piece of addiction that just to kind of like put a bow on on that if you or anyone you know is struggling with addiction please shoot me an email or hit me up on on those social medias and if i don't see it the first time like just be a little relentless um as sometimes i'm not as good with those platforms as i would like but somebody struggling with addiction, I have tons of resources and happy to have a little bit of a conversation there because, you know, 
there's been people that have that have helped pull me up from uh, <laughs> the lower parts of society, and uh, I love to be able to be of inspiration and help others wanting to go on the journey. No, I greatly appreciate that. That's that's a huge offer. So thank you for doing that. Is there something they should put in the subject line, Gordy, to kind of help distinguish it? That maybe, hey, this is important. I really need some help. Is there Brian is awesome. Dot dot what? dot. Brian is awesome. <laughs> yeah. No, like uh, if if I don't respond, it's not because I'm necessarily ignoring you. It's just I potentially haven't seen it. So just kind of like you know, be a little bit relentless. But I will, like one of my commitments is I will will follow up. And um, I guess if we're talking about getting uncomfortable, I am making a pledge here on Brian's podcast that. Nothing waits longer than, uh, I'm going to say a week <laughs> to respond. All right. It's it's recorded now. This will be going live. So yeah. with that, that week, like that's the far end. I want to more <laughs> say 72 hours, 24 is just unrealistic, but uh, 72 is, is more realistic. But, you know, it's not from... And this goes back to a, a large part of of the conversation. It's how we're choosing to spend our focus and our bandwidth. And I I in, try to be very, very intentional with it. And that being said, I have lots and lots and lots of room for improvement. <laughs> we all do. We all do. And I love that you're saying that because you're not coming on here saying you're the be all know all and here's the word that you need to follow. So I appreciate uh, you being honest and like I said, vulnerable and, and sharing your story and everything. What final message would you want to leave the mindset listeners to ju- truly get about connection or being an entrepreneur? What, what final words or wisdom would you like to say? It's all about connection, connection to self, connection to something greater than yourself and connection to others. Keep it simple. Connect. Perfect. Gordy, thanks so much for taking the time to schedule this interview. Um, It's been great, man. It's my intention came through. It's what I intended and I'm pleased with it. I appreciate you taking the time with the move and all. I know you're adjusting, but You got back to me right away. You set it up and we knocked it out. So thank you for doing that. I appreciate you. And for everybody listening, guys, thanks so much for tuning in again to another episode of the Marketer's Mindset. I appreciate you guys. I love you. And until next time, I wish you a brilliant life.